this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Welcome. And today, I am delighted to have Steve Alton. Steve is the New York Times bestselling author of Meg, which will soon be a major motion picture starring James Statham and Rain Wilson. He also recently released a new book called Dog Trading, The American Male, a side-splitting romantic comedy novel in which he bought back the rights from the original publisher and started his own publishing company, uh, New Trend and Publishing Business, which I am happy to talk about. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Great. You know, let's, let's go back in time. You know, did, did, how did Steve discover his love for writing? You know, did it start from, did it start from your parents? Uh, did it start, you know, maybe from, you know, a hobby that you eventually kind of led into that? How did it start? Well, I don't think anyone has a, a love for writing unless you have a love for reading. Mm-hmm. And so the love of reading started at an early age. My mother got me to read books when I was younger. And, uh, you know, it was books that I enjoyed reading. Uh, I, I sort of was weaned on the Ian Fleming, James Bond series. Uh I remember reading Dracula by Bram Stoker, um, sports memorabilia books. Uh, and then I, of course, when I was 15, I read Jaws. Mm. And that led me to do a lot of research on great white sharks. And I used to you know, enjoy reading uh, real life great white shark attack stories. Mm-hmm. And there was always um, a blurb about Megalodon, the prehistoric cousin of the great white, which was 60 to 70 feet long. And, and so, you know, that kind of planted a seed in my brain for later on. Interesting. And so, you know, and, and, that's, and that's when you started, you know, writing. You know, did, did you start writing fiction? Did you start writing nonfiction? Um, I mean, the first, technically, I, the first things I ever wrote and published were um, I was getting a, a master's in sports medicine at the University of Delaware, and I co-wrote a, a medical paper and... Um, of course, I had to write a master's thesis and a doctoral dissertation, and, and, and people commented that although my study wasn't necessarily that good, the writing was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, when I was a freshman at Penn State, I had to take a journalist class, and uh, we did a lot of writing short stories, and I did very well in there. And I actually flirted with switching from physical education to journalism, and then I took the next class, the next semester. And the stories that I had been getting A's on, suddenly I was getting C's and D's. And I met my first critic, I guess, and that sort of turned me off of it for a while. That's quite interesting. You say you went to Penn State. I also went to Penn State, too. So good, good, good to talk to another a PSU alumni. That's great. <laughs> so, you know, let's talk about, you know, some of the struggles uh, that you have at, that you had as a writer. Because a lot of, pe- a lot of people go through that as well you know sometimes you know they'll, they'll, they'll get published in so many you know magazines and newspapers but oftentimes that work is unpaid and it, re- it really doesn't lead into paid work sometimes they will write a book 
and you know they think if they just write the book all the people will come and they do that and nothing happens and oftentimes that that, that kind of discourages a person from wanting to continue in writing you know i would imagine uh, steve that you also had a lot of these struggles as a writer let's talk about that a bit well i had not set my goal to become a writer until 1995 when i was struggling to support a family of five and I was doing a, a lot of different things. I, I had gone through 10 straight years of college to earn a doctorate degree, but that was because I was trying to get into coaching basketball sort of in the back door through graduate assistantships mm. and things like that. But in 1995, um, in August of 95, I picked up a Time magazine and on the front cover was a picture of the Mariana Trench. And the Mariana Trench is the deepest part of the ocean, seven miles down, 1500 mile long unexplored gorge. and. And the article talked about hydrothermal vents and the possibility of life at the bottom of the ocean. And and I I sort of married that article with the the great white shark's prehistoric cousin, Megalodon. And I thought, you know, that would be a pretty cool story if Megalodon was still alive down there. And uh, I decided to do some research. And I went to the library because there was no internet back then. And and uh, started researching it, found out the name of the shark. There wasn't much out there about Megalodon, but you know, between the hydrothermal vents and the Mariana Trench and the mystery of it, I thought this could really make a good story, maybe even a movie too. So I set a goal. My goal was, and I'm very big in goal setting, my goal was that I would take 30 days to research the book, the science of the book, and uh, create a storyline, and then I would write the book. And because I had a, a a job, a job, which is just over broke because I was struggling in my day job. Mm-hmm. The only time I could work on the book was 10 o'clock at night till three in the morning and on weekends. Wow. And so uh, I, I set up a little word processor in, in the living room, in the dining room, and just didn't make my wife too happy. But you now I was pretty determined. And, you know, every night I would hack away at it. And, you know, it's like the age-old story, you know, well, how do you write a 400-page manuscript? Well, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> and, and the answer, of course, is you eat an elephant a bite at a time. Uh-huh. And you write a 400-page manuscript a page at a time. And so uh, I was writing about two, maybe three pages a night. And I uh, finished the book in about six or seven months. And at that point, uh I had no ends in publishing and I wanted to get the book published so I took out a book on how to get published and they mentioned that uh, you know you just can't send it to a publisher unsolicited because they're not going to read it so you need to go through a literary agent and uh, that was the first major battle because I had this 400 page manuscript but I had no literary agent so I sent out two page query letters to every agent who handled fiction. And there was about 60 to 70 letters that went out. And I heard back from one agent who was interested, a guy out in Los Angeles who said Meg would make a good book and movie, but he said, you got to edit it. He said, editing a book is like cutting a fish. You chop off the head, you chop off the tail, and you start with the meat in the middle. And we'll help you edit the book, uh, but we have to charge you editing fees. And he wanted $6,000. I didn't have $6,000, but I had a 71 Malibu convertible that my dad had bought me when I was a teenager, and, and it was a classic and pretty good shape. And So I fixed it up a little bit and sold it and then borrowed a little bit of money here and there, and, and we had ended up uh, editing the book together. 
And uh, at the time I had, I was working as a, a whole house water treatment salesman, um, which was a horrible way, just straight commission. And I uh, was really struggling. And I, I, I got offered a job as a sales manager for a wholesale meat company. It's kind of a crazy story, but um, anyway, uh, on set, uh, and they promoted me to general manager pretty quickly. And then uh, on 1996, September, Friday the 13th, I went to work to find out that they had fired me. Wow. And uh, it was a family business and, and the family, there were two different families fighting all the time and I sort of united them in a board of directors and they decided they no longer needed me. Oh, wow. So I went home, had no money in the bank, no job, couldn't even collect unemployment because I hadn't worked there long enough. My wife was upset, you know, and I said, honey, this is the best thing that could happen because now I could work on my second book. <laughs> and that's not, that's not what she wanted to hear. Yeah, I, but, I, I can imagine. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. Six days later, Meg went out to the six biggest publishing houses in the country and buoyed by the fact that we had a first look deal with Disney's Hollywood Pictures, um, sold for a two book, seven figure deal. And that was the first, what would become a, a series of roller coaster rides for my career. Interesting. One thing you said earlier, uh, Steve, that I'm really interested in is you're really into setting goals. Now, everyone sets goals like, you know, all these different types of ways. But I'm very curious, how does Steve set his goals? Do you have a particular formula? Yeah, and it comes from the book Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. The idea of setting a goal is not to make a wish list on December 31st. You know, it's to actually have a game plan for the goal. And the first thing that you have to do when you set a goal is decide what you want. What do you want to achieve? Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to get in better shape? Do you want to quit smoking? Do you want to make money? Do you want to write a book, become a bestseller? You've got to clearly define what the goal is. And the next thing is you need to write down the necessary steps in order to get from point A to point C with the understanding that some, some of those steps, you're going to go backwards. Indeed. You know, it's a, it's a learning process. You're not going to make a straight line from point A to point Z, which is a lot higher. You're going to go up and down and up and down, but you're moving steadily, matriculating toward that goal. And then you just work your butt off. Indeed. But, but your goal also has to have a beginning point and an end point. So for me, the beginning point was August 1st. And the end point was January 1st. I figured if I wrote four pages a night, I could get this thing done by January 1st. Yeah, that's definitely a great book. I definitely recommend people check out that book, Think and Grow Rich. Love that book. I'm, I'm happy that was definitely instrumental in your success. Now, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about, you know, your experience working with uh, a traditional publisher. Now, um, now, now, 
when, when did you get the two book deal uh, to, to have Meg and I, I guess now dog training the American male? When, when did that actually happen? Well, dog training is my latest book, but Meg happened back in 1996 with Bantam Doubleday was the um, the winning bidder for the book, and of course they had done Jaws. I see. Earlier. Okay. Uh, so, what was your? Because I mean, 1996, 2016, definitely two different eras in the book publishing industry. What was your experience working with them as an author? Because nowadays, you know. At, you know, working a traditional publisher now is 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 is, is significantly different uh, than it is uh, you know you know twenty years ago. You know, where, where, where how involved were they into the book process and, and upon, upon the launch? Well, I mean, it was the best of worlds and it was the worst because what happened was is that you know when they lay out a lot of money and then they kept the foreign rights and they took the foreign rights to Frankfurt Book Fair. And Meg was the book of the fair. It sold for, I think, 25 countries for another million dollars. Wow. And uh, that went to Doubleday, of course. But, um, you know, and Doubleday promoted the heck out of it. They got me on the Today Show and, and uh, with Matt Lauer. They got, you know, I was on the front page of uh, a lot of entertainment sections and major newspapers. I mean, they when you have a big publisher like that, they exercise their clout and there's nothing better for an author that to be riding that wave that they provide for you. For sure. The problem was, um, Meg was good. Uh, it, it went on to become a New York Times bestselling book in hardback. And, um, they, uh, you could, of course we had the movie deal with Disney at the time, mm -hmm. but, Two pieces of bad time, and this is what I describe my career as a roller coaster, and, and I hate roller coasters, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, 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 hate, I hate them now, too, now. <laughs> when I was younger, I used to love them, but now I hate them. Well, you, the up of my career was that we got options and a lot of money and, and, and a movie deal at the same time. The downward part of that roller coaster was that two weeks before I was supposed to get paid roughly $800,000 for my second book, which is about the Mayan calendar's doomsday prophecy. And this was back in 97. So I was way ahead of the curve on the 2012 thing. Um, Double they stopped talking to me. Hmm. And they stopped talking to my agent. And something was going on. And we, we didn't know what was happening, but they were in the process of finalizing a deal with Bertelsmann, which bought them out big German conglomerate. And the outgoing president was trying to make her bottom line look better by cutting uh, front-loaded deals, and mine was one of them. And so two weeks before I was supposed to get paid, Doubleday canceled my second book deal. Wow. Now, we had just moved into a new house, new cars, you know, and now suddenly, you know, I'm in a situation where I can't afford it. And uh, not only that, but they gave me a black eye in the industry, you know, because they canceled my second book deal. Mm. And meanwhile, Meg is coming out in six months in paperback, and they've already printed 750,000 copies. So it's a crazy time. And um, at the same time, the president of Hollywood Pictures, David Vogel, was fired. Mm. So the, the new incoming studio head canceled Meg because it hadn't been greenlit yet and 
he wasn't about to green light another his predecessor's project because if the if the movie does really well then it makes the other guy look good indeed so in in two swift phone calls i lost probably two million dollars and and suddenly i'm in a house that i can't afford um and and i'm in i'm my career's in trouble yeah yeah so we had to sue Doubleday to get the rights back to the second book, the, the Mind Counter story, which would eventually be called Domain. And and I didn't like the way the book was written. You know, what, what Doubleday was trying to do with my career was, in the words of the outgoing president, they wanted me to become the next Peter Benchley. And that's very flattering. And I'm off to a good start with a, a big shark tale, but I didn't want to just write underwater stories. I wanted to write thrillers, but not necessarily underwater stories. And, and Domain, the My Encounters Prophecy book, was not a, an underwater story, but they kept, my editor kept having me write underwater scenes. Yeah. And so the book was a, a mishmash of ideas, and it wasn't working out, so they canceled it. And uh, so to get the rights back, we had to sue them. And meanwhile, I, I had a hustle to get just to just to live. And yeah. I wrote uh, the sequel to Meg, The Trench, which uh, didn't sell as big as Meg did, but it still kept me, it got me enough money with Kensington Pinnacle to at least pay my bills for a little bit. Did, did, that, did and, that one become a bestseller? The Trench? Yeah, The Trench was also a bestseller. Well, yeah, uh, that's good. You know, being a bestseller uh, is is definitely better than being uh, a no seller. For for people, you know, perhaps you can break this down because I know I know a lot of people are very excited and they would like to you know have these type of experiences that you've been very fortunate to have. You know, how does like a, a seven figure book deal? work you know, like as far as you know the, the, perhaps do you get something in the, in the beginning do you get some in the middle do you get some in the end i mean i mean i mean I, I, obviously you know you I, I, perhaps you could you know just just shine some light on that well a seven figure deal which that was my only one by the way in 20 years uh-huh. seven figure still, deal works impressive yeah it works the same as any any kind of deal which is they pay you they usually pay you a third on signing mm-hmm. and they pay you a third um on acceptance of the manuscript, and then a third when the book is published. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. That's very impressive. Want the full episode? You can get it when you become a Prim20 Premium Radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription today. Get one hour commercial free episodes, private mastermind calls with our guests, and much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for just another way to help you start reaching your finish line. Let's talk about, you know, now, you know, afterwards you recovered from all of that, you know, as far as you had to sue Doubleday uh, to get your rights back. You know, eventually while I did put you in an uncomfortable position, the fact that you kind of upgraded your house, your cars and all that, uh, you know, you know, overall, you know, you're, you're, you, you have uh, set your sights on to other things recovering from that. And now you have uh, entered into the publishing business. Uh, which you which you said is uh, ultimately uh, better for writers. Uh, let's talk about that. You know, and l- l- let's dig into your experience and how you've kind of you know came out with the idea and how you started and you know what's going on with it right now. Well, 
to answer that first I got to give you a little background um, you know I've been with um, probably nine different publishers uh, three of them are majors uh, a few of them were were in small independents and then a couple have been startup companies and uh, each experience is different um, with the majors you know Doubleday did a lot of great publicity for me but after that I realized that I have to do it myself and, and one of the things that any author is listening really has to understand is that if you rely on your publisher to do the publicity then you're gonna your career is gonna sink pretty quickly mm-hmm. you've got to become the wind behind your own sales and, and help sell this book writing the book is not enough if, if it doesn't sell you've got no career mm-hmm. uh, the second thing is that um, control I'm, I'm a bit of a control freak in the sense that you know if I spend a year or two years writing a book I want it to have a great cover I want the inside to look great I you know I, I'm this is my baby yeah, and, and I feel, early I feel the same on, way. <laughs> and early on, I got into a lot of hassles with the publishers because I didn't like their covers. Doubleday had done a a pretty decent hardback cover, but there was no shark on the cover. There was just blood trailing out of a gorge. And the paperback, they did a horrible job. They the paperback was literally a black paperback with the word "Meg" written in black with a slight glow around it. Now. If there's no shark, you have no idea that that's a book about a giant prehistoric great white shark. So the marketing was horrible on it. And I've had other arguments with other publishers because, you know, you may be one of 200 books that the art department is designing a cover for, so they don't have a chance to read the book. They don't know what the thing's about other than basic terms. And they're just trying to put together a cover that's enticing enough that they can move on to the next cover. So it got to the point where... When my third uh, Meg book came out, Primal Waters, I actually paid an artist to design the cover myself. And we did that for the paperback. And since that time, just about every cover that's ever come out is my own design with an artist. And I've paid upwards of $5,000 for cover art because it's that important. So we're talking about control now and controlling your career. The other thing that has changed over the last 20 years is that advances have gone down Indeed. and so you know I went from um, a book that I had gotten you know a hundred thousand dollar advance which is a great advance on a book on a, one of my series to my next book which only got a thirty five thousand dollar advance that's a pretty big pay cut and Indeed. if it takes and if it takes you I mean it takes me about a year to write a book you know that's significant I've also had a couple other books that I, one of being Dog Training the American Male, which I wrote under on a pen name, L.A. Knight, which is a comedy. And the other was a book called Shark Man, which is a really good book, young adult book, about um, a paralyzed teenager who, who uses shark stem cells to try to heal a spinal cord, and he ends up turning into a predator. And both of those, both of those books went to a, a small not a small publishing house, but a publishing house that really didn't handle fiction that well. And they were very small advances. And, you know, the smaller the advance, the less a a publisher is going to back your book. The bigger the advance, which is why Doubleday backed my book so much, is because they've got a lot of stake in it, so they're going to do more publicity. Absolutely. So on a book that I had only gotten basically $6,000 advances on, they let the books die on the vine. 
and I had just I had just reacquired the rights to Meg through a series of different circumstances. So I had the domestic book rights to Meg and the foreign ones. And so I decided that I wanted to get those other two books back to publish them the right way. So I pulled together a team of people, some with publishing experience, some in publicity, some in banking, and and another one who's uh, one of the, the lead producer on my movie. And we created a publishing company called A&M Publishers. And we've got two imprints, uh, Viper Press, which does the thrillers, and then um, WJM Books, which does the uh, other books like Dog Train the American Mail. I see. So we've been in business for about um, approaching a year and a half, in a couple months, and it's been a struggle. Uh, Meg has been pretty consistent selling, and it will pick up when the movie gets closer. But um, you know, it's it's tough running your own publishing company and and getting distribution when you're first starting out. But we're getting there. Yeah. And and if I'm going to do all the work on the book myself anyway, I figured why not do it and keep the money? <laughs> I absolutely agree. Uh, so, um, I mean, are, are you working with Ingram? Because typically, uh, you can get well if you can get yeah, an, we, if you can get an Ingram, you can pretty much be in any bookstore, any any physical bookstore. If you get an Ingram, yeah, we have we have distribution deals with Ingram, Baker and Taylor. Okay. Uh, we just signed with Bookazine. Uh, we've got Hudson Airport. So, oh, distribution yeah, wise, we're, we're doing pretty good. I mean, it, it definitely helps to have you know a, a bunch of bestsellers under your name. But but the, I don't want you to be I don't want you to misunderstand. This is not self-publishing. This is owning a publishing company. There's a big difference. We have other authors as well, and we've got a, a you know a big book coming out in March by Dr. Stephen Greer, the foremost authority of UFOs and ETs. So we're real happy with that. Yeah, you said uh, overall. You say you believe that it's better for writers to have their own uh, book publishing company. Uh, let's let's no, no, I, I, I never, Kellen, I never said it was better. I'm sorry. Um, I said it was different. Oh, you know, okay. there's, 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 there's pluses and minuses and everything. You know, I would love to be with a major publishing house who buys my books for six or seven figures every year and puts a lot of money behind them. Then all I have to worry about when I get up in the morning is what I eat for breakfast and then I can get work on my story. You know, taking more responsibility doing marketing publicity you know editing things like that you know that's that's these are time-consuming tasks yeah yeah indeed <laughs> uh, I, uh, I I I've had on I definitely would like you to draw the contrast uh, between kind of nonfiction versus fiction because you know I, I have people on like Robert Kiyosaki who's who's written basically the number one personal finance book in the world which they poor debt. I uh, had on Laurel Langmire, which she's been like in like the that that the movie The Secret, this kind of self help thing, and you know she's written books that that has been like U.S. USA Today bestsellers and all that, and you know they've kind of talked about kind of their journey as a nonfiction author, but you know you're you're actually the first fiction author that I have had on, and you know I, I think a lot of people, Steve, they find it a bit more intimidating to be successful as a fiction author as opposed to a non-fiction author perhaps you can delve into that a bit well i haven't written non-fiction so it's not fair to me to critique it 
I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with nonfiction or fiction. It, it's whatever you prefer to read. Me, I'm a fiction reader, so I write fiction. But the big difference, I think, is than writing a business book is that in order for a business book to succeed, it needs to sell. I mean, that's the same for any any book. But you're not getting reviews based upon a story. You're getting, you know, you you if you're if you're a rich guy and you want to write a book and you can put the publicity behind it and it hits the bestseller list, then you could put across the top of your nonfiction business book international or national bestseller. And you know, you're because you're making money off of the the talks that you're giving where where you're where you're also selling the book at these auditoriums. With a fiction story, you're being judged on the story, you're being judged on the writing, you're being judged on the creativity. And you know, it's a, it's a different kind of experience because it's a different kind of writing. As we come to a close, if people want to follow you or get in contact with you, Steve, how would they do that? Uh, you can get directly in contact with me through my website, www.stevealtonalten.com. Great. Steve, thanks for being our guest. Thank you, Kaelin. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to Reaching the Finish Line.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.